Wonderful. Yeah, because we're going to have an episode sandwiched between these episodes yes. where we're not in the same room because we had to do them out of order. Yes. But uh, we get to be in the same room today on this beautiful, foggy Halifax Sunday foggy morning. Nova Scotian day. <laughs> it was, I looked out my bedroom window this morning because like one of the like my apartment in Halifax, it's a little expensive for the size, but like overall great apartment. I've always really loved it. It's a um, great location, too. And a great location. It has, like, one of the best views it does. I've ever seen in a Halifax apartment for, like, student living. And so I was just, like, it It faces, like, full south. So you get basically, like, the sunrise every morning, which is really beautiful. And I was like, you know what? Maybe I'll be, like, up in time to see the sunrise. And then I woke up and I was just like, well, it's just fog. <laughs> but I uh, still love it. Welcome <laughs> to the foghorn. <laughs> it's a great noise it's more it's classic but anyways do you want to get into this episode yeah i do okay so there's been a lot of like political stuff happening in the world right now but this june is also pride month it is for our lgbtq Two, two plus, plus community. Yeah. Uh, it's a very getting longer and longer acronym, which is great. More it inclusivity. Is. Inclusivity is key. And there's actually only ever been one Heritage Minute made specifically for that community. Yeah. And so we're going to do the Jim Egan Heritage yeah. Minute. Which I don't know, like a part of me is like, oh, like there should be more representation. Like there should be yeah. more Heritage Minutes about that. But then it's also kind of like... Is it because we're just like forward thinking and progressive in Canada and we're less like, but no, I don't think that's the case. I think that it's uh, it's definitely something that needs to be chatted about wherever you are. Yeah. Attention. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think Canada, certain there's certainly Canada is not like shielded from homophobia. Especially, I mean, we grew up in like rural towns. Like, yeah. you know, it's there all the time, even yeah. in like really subtle ways, like yeah. being in middle school and call something like calling something gay. Yeah. For, as like being bad. Yeah. But like, I, I will say that's probably been the biggest transformation I can remember seeing is like the progress from since I was in middle school to now, the amount of representation I see for LGBTQ2 plus people is oh, yeah, like for sure. a lot. And, and that's great. And I think Heritage Minutes, obviously, you know, I think they started at a time where it was still pretty taboo to talk about it. Yeah. And, and I think for a long time, people didn't really know how to talk about it. Like, yeah. as a, like, I... It's like, like why does it... Ha- like, you get that thing of, like, I accept it, it's fine, but why does it have to be, like, part of your yeah. identity? Yeah. Or how do you talk about it in a way that isn't objectifying yeah that yeah I yeah absolutely yeah like because sometimes a, it can feel like voyeuristic or something yeah yeah, like, yeah. no I totally agree and yeah. like as a like as a member of the LGBTQ yeah, yeah I am uh, I am Linnea and I am <laughs> bisexual um <laughs> But uh, woman. yeah, even when I was in university, which wasn't that long ago, I'm not that old. She's but, uh, young people. <laughs> she's young. Uh, 
back in my day. I was considered not gay enough by like so many members of the gay community. Well, yeah. And which I am saying this totally as an outsider to that community. I, I'm an ally, but not part of the LGBTQ community. I think that something that I've heard from other like friends who are LGBT is they're like, you get the issue is like you. it's not even just like homophobia from without you get like homophobia from within oh for sure people like testing your gayness for sure and that was a that was a big thing for me like it took me a long time to like understand that um bisexual was like a real thing and like that was okay and it didn't mean that I was only allowed to ever like girls because you have to like prove it I liked a girl yeah it meant that like I was still and it doesn't mean that I just like want to have threesomes all the time or cheat on my partner (laughs) like that's not it at all yeah. I just love people. It's, she does those things, but not because she's bisexual. <laughs> oh my just gosh. Of, <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. She's the most loyal, committed person I've ever met in my whole life. <laughs> did you hear that, Mom? Lori, did you hear that? Shout out to Lori. Loyal and committed. And loyal and committed. A joy. <laughs> just a pleasure to be around. Uh, but yeah, it was a it was a tough time when I kind of came out because there was a lot of pressure from especially I found the uh, the lesbian community because, I mean, I have long hair and I like to wear dresses and I'm yeah. like what you would consider more of like a, a very femme and like pretty lesbian. And it was uh, and it, yeah, it was definitely it was definitely kind of a weird adjustment. And it was the most pressure that I felt about it. You know, usually think it's going to be your family when you bring home a significant other that's yeah. of the same sex. But it was uh, it was really from the the community itself. And that was really hard. Yeah. But, um, you push for like conformity. There's yeah. Power in numbers. You know, if we yeah. all present the same way. Yeah. We'll make more of an impact. But ultimately it comes down to just people yeah. and like what their preferences um, are. But I am really pleased to say that <clears throat> after I like kind of got out of that like university bubble um i was able to like i've worked in different workplaces with uh with uh lgbtq adults and youth and and it's kind of been it's been really nice to see people who kind of like um represent like the same way that you do yeah um and that's definitely been that's definitely been really key for me Mm -hmm. in like coming to like full terms with it yeah did you ever have like like a lgbt person that you like really looked up to and like helped you kind of like through your or was there like a book or a movie or anything that was like I relate to this so so much um not so much relating to but I think one of the best movies um depicting actually there's two there's two movies that I think are really important one depicting um same-sex relationships Mm. and then another well another is a tv show that does a really great job and then there's also a movie that's more of a biopic so the first movie that i think is really key is actually a musical so it's rent um and rent does such a beautiful job just having the gay couple in the movie (laughs) just be like there's never a talk about it like yeah. no character is like it's just very normal it's all very normalized and this is in the late 80s early 90s during kind of like um aids happening in new york yeah. city and they do a great job of all of the friends kind of in that friend group there's reasons they all have a problem with each other but it's <laughs> never the fact that that the characters are are gay 
and I think that's really uh, I think that's really important. And mm-hmm. uh, then there's a great TV show, especially as a as a young woman, which is um, the Fosters, which I don't know if you've oh, ever okay. heard about the Fosters. No, great, great show. And it's about uh, two they're it's about a family their last name is foster mm-hmm. and it's two moms so it's uh, uh okay. but the like one mom uh she was married and like had a son before like in a oh, okay. in a same-sex relationship and then that relationship ended and then she started well then she ended up marrying this other woman and and was in a was in a same-sex oh, relationship okay. so they have the original son from that relationship and then they adopted two kids and so it's this very like blended family and then they end up fostering two kids and so it's this very that's kind of how the show starts and they do a really great job of being women in a same-sex relationship and being feminine and still being women yeah um in that and also like throughout the show kind of exposing they have a they have one of the first trans characters in television oh really yeah, and I think that was really... When did it come out? The Fosters, oh, I want to say, like, maybe, like, 2012. Oh, okay, um, that's early. And it's recently it's recently finished, and now there's a spinoff with two of the daughters oh, okay. So um, that they have, which is called Good Trouble, and it's uh, I think it's on HBO, but it's... Uh, the Fosters is on Netflix, and it's so great. Like, especially <laughs> if you are a mom of uh, of a child who is who has come out to you or is kind of like expressing those different interests like it's a great tv show to kind of build they really cover so many just like normal issues but Mm -hmm. in a same-sex household and it's it's really it's really a great show and then another movie that i think is really important is uh the harvey milk story oh okay which is uh sean penn it's called milk right it's called milk yeah and uh, it's about Harvey Milk, who was an activist in San Francisco um, yeah. for gay rights. And he was actually assassinated. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, but it's such a it's a movie at a time where, you know, I kind of have been talking about um, lesbians being considered to not be able to be feminine. Mm-hmm. And like now that's definitely come around. There's some great some great people on social media and on TV, but um, this is kind of around the time where uh, gay men weren't considered like to be masculine enough or yeah. to be able to be like in a position of authority or political power. Yeah. And uh, it's the story of Harvey Milk and it's, it's exceptionally inspiring and yeah. Really well, there's beautiful. this like notion, especially in the sixties during like the cold war and stuff that yeah. for some reason, gay people, especially gay men are more corruptible by like communist infiltrators yeah. and so you have the lavender scare which is like the u.s government though i'm sure it happened in canada as well i just don't know don't know the numbers or anything off the top of my head but like the american government went through and like fired thousands of people they suspected of being yeah gay because under the justification that they were like oh they have weak character therefore communist powers yeah. will be able to infiltrate our government blah 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 but I mean, ultimately, it's just coming down to, like, you don't want gay people right. in, in the workplace. Which is stupid. Um, but I'm happy you brought up Harvey Milk, actually, because yeah. I think the story of Jim Egan, like, I think his trajectory follows more of that path. So he's, yeah. like, an activist. Most of his activism in his early career was uh, through writing. Yeah. And so, um, but he writes about the topics and stuff that, like, yeah. Harvey Milk would have been 
aligned with as well. And for this episode, we actually have a guest. Yeah, which is super exciting. Our second guest of the series, if you don't count Mark, our producer, who popped on for one episode. Well, he didn't count himself. Yeah. So, So, uh, (laughs) yeah. So we have Theodore Saunders today, who uh, Grace and I are going to chat with. And uh, the reason we're interviewing Theo is because he's actually uh, plays Jim Egan in the Heritage Minute. And uh, yeah, we thought it would be really cool to have him on and talk about his experience and some of his uh, personal views on the LGBTQ2 plus community. Yeah. So we'll be back in like 15 or so minutes after uh, chatting with Theo. Welcome, Theo, to the Minute Women podcast. Uh, we are Thank super, you. yeah, we're super excited to have you here for this episode. Currently, Theo is living in Toronto, and he uh, was actually in the Heritage Minute that we're talking about right now. So we are very excited to have him here. So thank you. Welcome. Again, thanks for uh, thanks for having me on your uh, on your show here. Yeah, yeah. No, thank you so much. Do you like, do you remember like how the casting process works and stuff with your um, yeah. Heritage Minute, the Jim Egan Heritage Minute? Yeah, um, I'm, my, my agent here in Toronto is uh, Colin McMurray. He uh, sent me an email and when I was reading it, I was with a buddy and I said, hey, look, this looks like one of those Heritage Minutes. And I hadn't <laughs> seen these, these videos in a really long time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So once I uh, once I got the, the email, it was like, yo, you have an audition tomorrow. I went home and I did a bit of research to see like, yo, who's this guy that I'll <laughs> you know be auditioning for? And I didn't I didn't know a whole lot about him, next to anything about him really. And so I did some some research and and then I uh, I had a funny like goatee at the time. So like I shaved my goatee down to a mustache. <laughs> so I, I thought it would help me in the casting room actually, and it was kind of cool because like. When I showed up to the audition, I was waiting to go in, and it was uh, it was taking a while for all of us to get in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the guy, the guy asked me, he's like, "Yo, what, what what day is this for you?" And I was like, "What?" I guess he had been auditioning for that part. It was his third day. Oh, and, uh, oh no! Yeah. And that was my first time coming in, and I didn't realize they'd been auditioning this uh, for like for a couple of days now. Um, but oh when the director God. came out to to pull someone else into the room, he looked at me. He said, uh, "His name is the director. His name uh, his name is Steven. He's like, yeah, I like, uh, I like that mustache. It's a good choice. Oh, I like, that's okay. so funny. <laughs> yeah, I'm in the right direction here. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, I was going to say, because, like, did you know that you were auditioning for, like, Jim over Jack, for instance? Yeah, because yes, I was. Because you definitely look more like Jim. You definitely Jack. do. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I knew that I was auditioning for, for Jim. So I'd, I watched, actually, I don't know if you guys were familiar with the, uh, the Jim Loves Jack. Uh, there's, like, a video... Yeah, Sorry. we we were yeah. talking about it on the podcast. So neither of us had actually seen it. Okay, so yeah, I went and I watched that whole thing just to kind of maybe get oh, a bit wow. of his mannerisms. And uh, I, don't, I don't speak actually in the in the commercial, but he had me do a monologue for the audition. So I was like, well, okay, you know, this is my job as an actor, I guess, to be as prepared as possible. So I just researched the dude, and I came in, and I, you know, like I said, I shaved my mustache, looks yeah. at least a little bit yeah. more like him. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, I just delivered the lines, and it was it was cool because he kept having a bunch of people coming in. And do it with me to figure out who was going to be, uh, you know, my lover. Oh, like who you had the <laughs> yeah. most, who you had the most chemistry with. I love that. That's so great. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it's actually funny that the facial hair is part of it. Because as we kind of talk about in the episode, there's a story of like the first time Jim actually meets a publisher. 
the okay. publisher he's, has never really like interacted with the gay community before. And the publisher is just like flabbergasted that Jim has a beard. He's just like, I didn't yeah. think gay people had beards. Yeah. And, and like, that's yeah, a lot of people do. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, we're actually going to touch on that. Yeah. How, uh, how that was like something that, was funny at the time that like wow yeah. wow gay men can have beards crazy yeah um. <laughs> but i love that facial hair was like part of your audition experience it's yeah like, to his story. anything else i could do just to get the the edge over these other guys i felt like i was gonna that's excellent know. well you did a great job and like grace was saying you really yeah. do look like jim egan um <laughs> you fit that role very well uh, well, thank you. So what else do you remember about about actually being at that audition? What did they kind of ask you to do? Uh, okay, so you know the, the monologue that's kind of going over the uh, the Heritage Minute? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So basically that was what I had to prepare. So I came in and I was going to, you know, I was going to recite the lines and kind of like do a scene. And uh, the director there basically had like different parts of the the room blocked off as if like the police were coming in and they were kind of storming our uh you know our little cruising room here so basically i was kind of like a a scenario that he set in place and it was kind of reacting and then reacting with somebody else like one of the other actors who was going to be you know who was ultimately going to play my my lover counterpart there right and uh so he kept bringing in different guys to kind of do the scene with me i guess it's like a chemistry test Mm. and yeah, that was, was kind of it. It was like, okay, the police are coming in. Now pretend like, you know, how do you keep your composure in like this really bizarre situation where you know that, you know, being gay and being found out here is going to be, yeah. is going to lead to some serious yeah. trouble for you, right? So Right. Yeah. And so how long between like after the audition did you actually film the Heritage Minute? Oh, well, uh, it was funny because two weeks went by and I didn't hear anything from my agent. And I was complaining okay. to my my best friend here. I was like, man, I didn't I didn't get it. I thought I did such a, you know, did what any other actor does. Like, I, I didn't get it. And uh, so I was saying to him, I was like, yo, like I thought I, you know, I, I did my best to do a really good like audition. And then, uh, mm-hmm. truly enough, like thirty minutes later, uh, I got an email. Okay. I was, like, I, was I forgot. It was, I think I was buying a suit that day, and I like dropped whatever I had at the counter and like ran to my roommate, and I was like, yo, like I got the part. I got the oh, part. Oh, that's like, so cool. Cool. Yeah, and then uh, so so that it was early December that this happened, and then we didn't shoot it until like the 18th and 19th, I think. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. And how you're... long did it take to shoot oh. the minute? So yeah, it was a two-day shoot. Each okay. day was like eight hours. I mean, okay. like. Oh wow. Yeah, I mean, just because it's a minute, it's like you know these guys are pretty thrilled. They're gonna make sure they get like a bunch of nice shots, and that it yeah. you know it makes sense because uh, that's a huge thing. You got to make sure that the shots that you get, you can actually use. Yes. Right. Um, and the team, like the even everyone on like the production was actually like they were amazing. It was like okay. watching watching surgeons kind of oh, <laughs> go about their business. Yeah. Um, and you're, yeah, it, I'm assuming. Oh, oh no, I was just gonna say I'm assuming, but you're Canadian, yes, Theo. Yes, I am. And so you you obviously like knew about Heritage Minutes. Oh yes, yeah, okay. yeah. Like I loved them. So, I remember watching the basket one like over right. and over again right. so what was oh, it yeah. what was it like one. was there did you have any like feelings like did you like call your mom and be like mom I'm, i made it i'm in a heritage minute like <laughs> <laughs> well i i called up my dad actually and i okay. was like hey like they're redoing heritage minutes and he's like oh that's that's really interesting and I was, he's like so oh, like how did the audition go yeah. and I, I told him how it went and then i was like well you know it's been a week now i haven't heard anything from them i 
don't think I got it, but it's kind of neat. Like, so keep your eyes peeled. You'll probably see some of these coming out soon. He's like, okay. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, like surely enough, like, you know, there's a couple more. I know I just watched the D-Day one actually today. Oh, um, yeah. That was, that was really oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. But I remember, I remember being, uh, being a kid and being like, wow, those are, those are cool little like mini productions, but I just saw yeah. them as like commercials, I guess. Yeah. Right. And I didn't really understand yeah, that. It was sure. like, okay, this is just a commercial on a piece of Canadian like history, but right. Right. as I got older, you, you know, you, you get like a soft spot for them, I guess, or it's kind of like the, uh, you know, it's, it's there in the nostalgia trunk. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Do you have a favorite other than obviously the one that you're in as Jim Vegan, but do you have a, do you have a favorite heritage minute? Uh, yeah, I, I, I got a the production value in them has, has gone up like crazy. For sure. uh, I'm really, <laughs> like, I, like I said, I just watched the D-Day yeah. one. I was really taken by that today. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There was now this one isn't my favorite, but is it, correct me if I'm wrong. Is there one with Robin Williams? Do they have Robin Williams like actually like um, the genie? No, I don't think there's one with Robin I Williams, don't. but there is one with Pierce Brosnan. Yeah, yeah, okay, and that's another one I've always been curious yeah. about too. I, <laughs> like, why is he in this? Anyways, you, well, I'll save that for another for another episode of your guys's. Okay. Well, <laughs> we I mean, we've learned that story because when we started this podcast, we were like, all right, our mission is to figure out yeah. how Pierce Brosnan wound up in a heritage minute. Yeah. And can we get him on the podcast? It's our five-year <laughs> plan. It's our five-year plan. Though, right? <laughs> he is. He and does. So that, uh, it's actually from a movie. So, like, there was a movie produced in Canada about that uh, character, Grey Owl. And who who was a white person who pretended to be indigenous so he could promote the protection and conservation of wildlife. A very bizarre, strange story. Yeah. They they re-edited that movie down to a minute so it could be a heritage minute. Beautiful. It's like such a bizarre story. It's like... (laughs) Piers Brosnan actually doesn't even speak in the Heritage Minute. He doesn't speak, but he's in it. And it's kind of one of those, it's like, was that? Is that? Could that be? But yeah, it definitely (laughs) is Piers Brosnan. um, And he's there. It's quite a controversial Heritage Minute at this point. uh, Yeah, especially now. Just because of what it's about um, and how things are kind of portrayed. But yeah, it is actually a movie about a real guy. Yeah, about, uh, about Grey Owl. Um, yeah, so there's, but it's, there's it's been... really interesting to see like heritage minutes go from that, from, yeah. from a figure who is kind of controversial in today's kind of discourse, but then move to someone like Jim Egan and Jack yeah. Nesbitt and their stories and just to see the progression. Well, that's like, from... I think in a, in, a, in a good direction of creating oh, for controversy, sure. right? Like, and, kind of, yeah. you know, you're peeling, peeling the veil back there. Exactly. Here, let's, let's do it. Let's do a big segue back to my favorite one. I think I got yes, it. Please. I think it would All be right. my, uh, <laughs> The, the Halifax explosion one, I think, yes. was always, was oh, always yeah. really good. That's yeah. a great one. Because I oh, think just... that the similarity between, like, the, the Halifax explosion and yours is that it's highlighting a person that I don't think you'd otherwise really know about. Right. Like, that, that's a good point. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's like, Jim the, Egan yeah. is unknown to a lot of people outside of people within the LGBTQ community. Exactly. And that's one of the great things about Heritage Minutes, I think. One of the things Grace and I love the most is that, you know, you wouldn't, you know, I might not know that Laura Secord didn't make chocolate if it wasn't for Heritage Minute. <laughs> or, or you know, that, yeah, that in that case that, it, it's just you learn so much. Or that, yeah, Vince Coleman 
you know, stop the trains coming from the Halifax explosion. It might be something you hear about in a social studies or a history class at one point, but it's not something that is so ingrained in your memory as heritage minutes do. And so that's why I think that it's so valuable that someone like Jim Egan is, you know, getting his his literal minute um, of fame uh, (laughs) by being in a heritage minute. Because, you know, Grace and I just in the episode, like I've learned so much about him. And uh, I think that that's so, so important and so relevant. No, I I totally agree. Yeah, I mean, it's it's too bad. uh, I mean. Like he ultimately lost that uh, he lost that case, but he, he paved the way. Exactly, right? he was the first like real person to kind of stand up and you know to to raise his voice and yeah. you know to give others a voice too. And I think that yeah. that kind of you know it's the same kind of thing that's happening right now with other people not having uh-huh. a voice or giving people a voice too. So it's you know you got you guys are hitting the nail on the head here, I guess. And you know, and, and not only just because it is Pride Month, all right, yeah. but with the things that are mm-hmm. going on in the world right now. Yeah. Um, doing Jimmy yeah. again, I think is a very special one. Now, how did you yeah. feel in your career uh, playing a gay character? Like, is that something like as an actor you like think about or like question or like, is that just. It the, it never crossed my mind. It's like, okay. I mean, acting is acting. And if you're just okay. doing the, you know, sometimes it's a job. Sometimes it feels like a sport. Sometimes it's like <laughs> yeah. just something you're just doing. Like, I like that. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, it's just like when you when you love it, you love it. So you're just going to do it. Like I played a. I, that's probably the third gay person I think I've ever played. Okay. Um, oh, wow. So, so it doesn't phase me at all. It's just like, if you love the work, then you're going to put yourself into the work exactly. and then uh, hopefully, you'll hopefully learn something from it. Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. And it's actually, it's really interesting hearing just the perspective of actors on Heritage Minutes because we previously interviewed um, Julian Richings who plays A.A. Um, a. Milne in the Winnie the Pooh Heritage Minute. What a so, charming guy. I, I, let me tell you, he sweetest. really is. He's yeah. so lovely. He is so um, lovely. <laughs> but for him, he was like, Heritage Minutes were like the best gig because you could be doing like stage performance and then just like for a day you go off and do the Heritage Minute and like so whatever. I, like, so I listened to that podcast to your guys and that was something <laughs> that, that stuck out to me as well. Like, because he was yeah. making it sound like he would be a you know, what a luxury to be able to, to be, to be learning your craft. And then, Hey, do you want to go do this, this commercial or this PSA or this, uh, yeah. you know, this, this thing that's going to be national on, on Canadian television. It's like, yeah, sure. Okay. I mean, it's like, extra, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like extra classwork, but you're being shown on, you know, you're really exposing yourself yeah. and it's for a really cool, good cause. So it's like, it's Roji Biv. You've, you've hit it all. In yeah. Every sector there. And I think poor, poor Julian, if you look at his kind of career, he plays a lot of characters who are not so nice. So I think he yeah. enjoyed playing kind of a nice character. He, uh, he tends to be the bad guy in uh, most of the work that he does. So, okay. Yeah. But it, yeah. And it was, it was just really interesting to hear it go from like, Oh, we're just going to do these little commercials. And now I feel like, not necessarily there's pressure on the actor, but it sounds like there's a lot of pressure production-wise. Like, people love Heritage Minutes, and we have to really get it right. Like, there's definitely more of a lens on the minutes when they come out, and there's, like, these big unveilings of the new ones. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess it might be harder for, I mean, like, it, it was kind of neat. Like, I didn't realize how important this was until once it came out. Like I knew right. it was a big deal, right. but then like the folks from historic Canada, they were great. They invited me to the, uh, there's a bookstore here on, on church street. Okay. And that's where they were going to, they did a premiere both in English and French and they okay. invited oh, like nice. everyone on, uh, I don't know if you guys have been to Toronto. You've spent any time in the village. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've been to Toronto yeah. a bit. 
Okay, so yeah, so they, they had a they had the premiere in, in in the village area. It was nice. great. They had all all kinds of folks from the LGBTQ uh, community there. Uh, yeah, it was great, and they all watched it. And then, like I got to like shoot the shit with everybody else. I'm sorry, so <laughs> no, that's, that's okay. This yeah. is uh, this, we we swear on the podcast. It's fine. <laughs> and then, yeah, it was kind of in that moment when it was when it was showing up. Like I saw people with tears in their eyes, and it was yeah. like, oh. not only was it an acting job, but it was like, wow, this is like it's an important piece of work, and that's yeah. the way I see it. It's like it's a very humbling project to be a part of. Yeah. Oh, that's so wonderful to hear. Yeah. Well, I feel like that's a great note to end it on. Yeah. Um, Thank you so much for coming to speak with us today. Oh, it's it's we, nothing. I uh, appreciate you guys finding me and uh, wanting to talk to me here about this. Oh, <laughs> you know, we appreciate it so much. We uh, we really think that, like, this project is a bit of a, like, pet project, a project that we love to do, these Heritage Minutes. But uh, any time that we get to connect with other people through it, it just, it really does make our day. Um, well, keep it podcast. up, because what is it? You guys are, it's 10, 10 or 11 you're on now? 12? Oh. Uh, this one will be 19, I think. Yeah. Oh, I got yeah. to do my homework here, no, guys. No, no, so. it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and it's, Take it's <laughs> yeah, we're, uh, we're loving it. So Grace and I are having a lot of fun doing it. And uh, yeah, super exciting and fun to talk to, to talk to people. So. Well, it's yeah. great. I'll, uh, I'll continue to listen. Amazing. Thank awesome. you so Thank you. much, Theo. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for, for is, joining us. Is there us for anything chat. you want to like plug Theo? Yeah. Are you doing you anything else? No. Or uh, they can I, follow you? I've been at, well, I mean, if you guys want to follow me, you can follow me on Instagram. My, uh, I think my handle is just Theodore R. Saunders. I usually post, you know, artsy photos of either me being fashionable or acting stuff. And well, we love, that's, that's kinda it. we love being fashionable. So <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Alrighty, guys. Well, Perfect. it's been a pleasure. And we're back. Thank you so much to Theo yeah. for chatting with us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So we're gonna get all into Jim Egan, who Theo played in the Heritage Minute. Yes. And so we're just gonna like go through his whole life because I think as the Heritage Minute kind of demonstrates, like he's known a lot for his activism, but he wrote a memoir called Challenging the Conspiracy of Silence. Um, and it like it's all about not just his activism and like why he started being an activist, mm-hmm. but also just his like growing up in like the 1930s and 40s knowing that you're a gay kid right but like not being able to say it because not only is it bad it's like you don't even know what the word is yeah like how do I identify what I am if I don't even have the vocabulary to talk about it yeah so we'll talk a little bit about his kind of like early life as well cool so James Leo Egan known as Jim was born on September 14th 1921 in Toronto Ontario he was the oldest of two sons of James Egan and Nellie Engel. He, Those Nellies. <laughs> I know. They keep popping up. I love also like Egan and Engel. I know. That's Looks cute. like a cute pairing of us. That is cute. <laughs> Jim described his father as an easygoing Irishman who was born in Toronto and worked as a fine cabinet maker. And his mother had been raised in Monte Carlo. Ooh. The couple married at a pretty late age. So what, like twenty-eight? <laughs> no, like forties. Oh shit. Like actually late. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Not what I expected. No, I know. It's like they get married late at uh, 35. Yeah, I was expecting like 18 <laughs> to be early, 35 to be late. Interesting. Wow. Um, but there is, as is tradition with heritage minutes, big old age gap between of the two of them. So um when Jim was born, his father was fifty-six mm-hmm. and his mother was forty-one. Okay. Which is like 
she's also he's the first child she had yeah. so she had two kids after the age of 40 which yeah. they don't recommend no they don't <laughs> they're usually like mm, maybe not yeah um so jim had a younger brother named charles who spoiler alert he would later on go on to find out who was also gay oh so like the story goes like he just like bumped into him in a gay bar and they were like uh, you <laughs> me oh my god <laughs> Um, but Jim remembered his childhood and his relationship with his father, especially quite fondly. Um, though his father did pass away when Jim was only 14. Again, a very common theme in heritage. Minutes. Well, he was like almost 70 when That's he was true. 14 or maybe over 70. Yeah. Dad be 70 when you're 14. <laughs> like that is, and you're the oldest kid. Oh, well, <laughs> That's like Donald Trump's kid. Oh God. Let's not even talk about I hate him. that guy. Voldemort. <laughs> we shall not say his name. <laughs> So Jim remembered being, he said, I'm ex- I was extremely fortunate compared with some young gay males. I only had the faintest notion of being different and I did, but I did feel different. And sometimes I felt somewhat alienated. Yeah. So he's like, I know I'm different, but like all things considered, like I wasn't getting like beat up for being gay. Yeah. Because he didn't really know he was gay. Yeah. So as a child, he attended Holy Name School, which was a Catholic school. I love that. It sounds like they just forgot to name it. Holy Name. It's just like literally like this. We'll put this as a place filler. We'll come up with a holy one. It'll be like St. Joseph's or oh, like Mary funny. Magdalene or something like that. Yeah. Uh, but they just never got around to it. So <laughs> Holy Name School. Jim remembered wanting to go to medical school. But after the death of his father, their mother which at the time he remembered, like, I didn't think about it as a kid, but in retrospect, it was like, oh, yeah, my mom had to go on, like, welfare. Like, we went mm. from being, like, like, maybe, like, a little bit middle class to being, like, kind of poor. Yeah. So he knew that the likelihood that he had any kind of college fund left was pretty low. Right. So pragmatically, he decided to go into, like, a trade school. Okay. So he did Eastern High School of Commerce instead of, like, going to, like, an academic high school. Okay. Um, In high school, he took a mixed science course of biology, chemistry, and physics, as well as English literature and composition. He's a smart boy. He's a smart boy, but he proved to, like, be kind of an indifferent student, and he just drops out of school. But he is very smart. Um, A big part of his career is that he opens biological supply stores. So I think that's just, like, chemicals that you need for, like, a farm and stuff. Yeah. That's what I, I imagine that is. And so... His basically just his high school education was like the primary basis for that. So though he didn't graduate high school, like you said, he's like smart. He's a really avid reader, especially. Mm -hmm. Um, So from an early age, around 12 or 14, he would purchase and buy English boys magazines that would depict the social lives of young men and boys. As he got older, he would pick up more complicated works like of Conan Doyle, Charles Dickens and Agatha Christie. Um, he likes mysteries. Absolutely. <laughs> He'd love a minute with a mystery. He would. <laughs> but he clearly remembers like the picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde being mm. like the book that he was like, oh, man, like oh. I relate to this book. Man. Yeah. So the picture of Dorian Gray was the first book that like made him like think about and like contextualize his own like sexuality mm-hmm. and his sexual preferences. Mm-hmm. So he related to the characters in the book and the relationship particularly between Basil Hallward and Lord Henry Wotton. Mm-hmm. And kind of like the very cloaked and veiled way their relationship was discussed, it really intrigued Jim. And then it really confused him when they both wind up supposedly falling in love 
and marrying women in yeah. the book. Plot twist. Plot twist. <laughs> and it drove Jim to research Oscar Wilde and his life, though very little was published about his homosexuality at this point at in that time. Point, yeah. Yeah. Um, so Jim didn't have words to describe himself, but he knew that he was attracted to men and found other boys' desire to hang out with young girls unfathomable, who he described in the girls are book. gross. Oh, this is like one of my favorite quotes. <laughs> okay, in I'm a ready. minute. So he describes uh, middle school girls as a gaggle of screeching, screaming, giggly, pimply virgins. <laughs> And uh, I will like, say, why would you want to hang out with them? And I'm like, I agree. Although not <laughs> flattering, not false, not false. Yeah, <laughs> I think sometimes very accurate images come from without. You know, sometimes an outside perspective is yep. good. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, power to women, but also you know, middle school is a tough time for yeah, everybody. Middle school is rough. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I'm sure I could say the same thing about boys, but. Yeah. I just love that. He was like, why do they want to hang out with a gaggle of screeching, screaming, giggly, pimply virgins? <laughs> why? I don't get it. <laughs> so at 16, um, Jim left Toronto to move in with his uncle by marriage who lived in Baileyborough, which is like a suburb of um, Toronto, I believe. Okay. But like at this point, it's actually a suburb like now toronto is just like you live in a suburb of toronto you just like live in toronto yeah. it's like kind of like more farm country okay and what jim had learned about in high school about biology led him to work for several family farms for the next two years cool and it was work that he very much like loved and cherished at the age of 18 jim was in a car accident when he was Aww. driving home from a square dance so he was like well i learned how to call <laughs> square dances so they would like get me up there sometimes oh gosh but so it, when he gets in this car accident he hits a horse um and a sliver of glass cut jim's left eye which Ow. um the resulting cornea scar led to jim being denied for active duty when he attempted to enlist in the army in 1939 oh. well so he's like dodged a bullet dodged a bullet literally <laughs> i mean he wants to go but they're oh, like they all did you got a, you got a thing yeah. You can't. Sorry. There were a lot of reasons people couldn't enlist. Yeah. Neither of my grandfathers could enlist. One was um, because he had tuberculosis. So, I mean, like, oh, okay. that's legit. The other was because he was flat-footed. And they said that he couldn't yeah. march properly. Well, <laughs> it's never been a better time and to be flat-footed. He was, like, really disappointed. I know. Well, yeah. It's, like, <laughs> time for you to prove to, that you're a man. And yeah. then the, the, the military's like, oh, no. No arches on that no, one. No, no, no. Get him out of here. <laughs> That's your biggest insecurity for the rest of your life, <laughs> or your flat feet. <sighs> so with most able-bodied men enlisting, jobs were opening up, and Jim was able to get work as a technician with the University of Toronto um, Department of Zoology. Good for him. Yeah, so like no university education, but there's no other qualified applicants. Yeah. And so he's like, all right, I'll do it. That's awesome. Um. Jim worked there for several years until 1943 when he joined the Merchant Navy okay. and served for the remainder of the Second World War. Okay. So eventually he's like, I got to get, I got to get there. So he just joins the Merchant right. uh, Marines. Jim remembered being intimidated by the other members of the crew, not joining in their nights out when they would go ashore. Jim said, I enjoy drinking. I don't drink the way they drink. So like, I'm not going to drink like a sailor. Yeah. I know some sailors. Let me tell you. <laughs> they could drink. Jim had little interest in drinking himself blind and then going to local brothels. So he's like, that's yeah. what they do. And, and he was just like, I was so annoyed because they would, we, 
every time we would dock, they would go to the first bar they go to, get absolutely shit-faced, then they just go to a brothel, and then they come on the boat and then be like, well, that town was terrible. It's like, <laughs> but all they've seen is the first bar and a brothel. It's like, yep. I'm never coming back here. It's like, <laughs> but one night, Jim found himself, like, so he would he would leave the ship. He would just, like, go drink by himself. Yeah. Um, and one night, uh, crewman, his crewman, like, followed him to the place that he was going. And so they were like sitting there and they saw him drinking alone. So they like start drinking with him. And he's like, oh, okay, whatever. But the sex workers in the town like know to follow the crewmen wherever they go. Yeah. So the sex workers like follow them into the bar so they can get customers. And like Jim felt like a lot of pressure to take one of these women home Mm. because like all of these guys are around him. So he told her once they left the bar, like he's like, I will pay and I'll spend the night, but I don't want to do anything okay and he wrote in his memoir she looked at me and asked you a queer (laughs) (laughs) straight up i think they're in italy too so it's just like (laughs) woman's second language like you you, queer you queer (laughs) (laughs) and i asked how she knew um and she said i'm just an ignorant girl about most things i know nothing but about men i know everything (laughs) (laughs) and so i agreed to go with her and she said don't worry i'll say nothing I was like, oh. And he was like, that's the only time I've ever been in a bed with a woman. (laughs) It's just this woman in Italy. Not that that's like a super pivotal story in his life, but I was like, I like that story a lot. (laughs) That was a nice sex worker. That was a nice sex worker. He also said it was just like, it was just in her like family home. So like (laughs) her siblings and parents are there. Like, but like, it's the war. So there's like a lot of these women. I think, actually, I think it was in Spain. So like the revolution had really like, destroyed the economy yeah Yeah. so after the war but still still sailing with the merchant navy jim began to discover the underworld of gay culture throughout various ports that they would visit like uh, sydney australia hamburg and london often with authorities simply turning a blind eye to all the activities so you have like a bunch of um officers in the military like Mm. you have soldiers and stuff they're all these ports and they're not all straight so they like develop this kind of like culture in port cities interesting yeah it was really cool um so jim recognized that the war had allowed many young men to live as adults for the first time outside the watchful and judgmental eye of their parents or communities so it's like oh i can just like do whatever i want there's not really any consequences right now So Jim briefly left the merchant uh, navy right after the war to set up a biological supply company with a few friends, but the venture failed. So Jim rejoined the navy only to officially leave in 1947. Okay. So in 1947, Jim moved back to Toronto and he took up a job at a restaurant that was popular for gay people living in the city. Okay. Slowly, Jim began to become familiar with the Toronto gay scene, um, dating and hooking up with men that he would meet at bars and clubs. (laughs) And it was at a place called the Savarin that Jim first met Jack Nesbitt. So Jim's friend Dick introduced them and Jim was instantly smitten with Jack. Uh, The two met again a few weeks later and Jim remembered that Jack was fairly drunk and there was like a group of friends. And so Jack like beckoned Jim over from across the bar and drunkenly asked him, he's like, I've been asking all of these guys if they want to go steady with me and none of them will. (laughs) How about you? Would you like to go steady with me? (laughs) Which I love. It's like, I've been really looking for a boyfriend. Would you like to be my boyfriend? That's 
so cute. <laughs> I love that. Um, and vulnerable men. That's oh. all I want. <laughs> and Jim told him maybe they should just get to know each other first. Of course you like, did. Of course you did. Jim, you're so great. <laughs> And that's how they started dating. Oh. So within a few weeks, they were living together in an apartment building that Jack's parents managed. Um, Jim described them as simple people who thought the two were just close friends. Okay. So, you know. So it's before you ask questions. Yeah. Um, don't ask, don't tell. Yeah. They treated Jim like a second son. However, after three or four years of dating, Jim remembered driving with the Nesbitt family in their car. And Mrs. Nesbitt, just out of the blue, said, you know, now I can die happy because Jack's found someone who can look after him. Oh, <laughs> my heart. <laughs> Accepting parents of marginalized communities. <laughs> it's like so touching. <laughs> In late 1949, Jim and Jack moved to Oak Ridges, which was a few miles outside Toronto. Okay. So not everyone was as accepting as Mrs. Nesbitt. Toronto could be a dangerous place for gay men during the 1940s and 50s. Police entrapment was always a serious threat for many men who went out looking for hookups or cruising, as Jim would call it throughout his memoir. Every once in a while, there would be crackdowns on sexual perversion, and all activities at theaters and parks and other gay spaces would come under scrutiny. They would plant police officers and solicit sex from men in gay spaces. If they accepted, then they would be arrested. But as Jim stated, the real danger in conviction was having your name, age, and sometimes even occupation and address printed mm. in local scandal sheets, which were always interested in publishing news of local sex crimes. Such articles were unmitigated disasters for men who were closeted or married. Yeah. Gay men were viewed by mainstream media as being at best mentally ill, but at worst as sexual predators. Ugh. So it's just like police officers pretending to be yeah. gay. And then the minute they're like, hey, you want to like come home with me? And you say yes, they'll arrest you. Yeah. It's just like. Ugh. Yeah. And that reminded me talking about toronto and and kind of the gay community yeah. in toronto reminded me of the first show that i ever watched that i experienced <laughs> which was degrassi degrassi oh. the next generation who was the first gay character on degrassi uh, it was marco oh. and it was the episode the episode was called pride part one and then there was pride part two mm -hmm. and it was not allowed to be aired in the united states so they oh, had right so they um degrassi was on pbs and there's two separate two-part episodes one called accidents happen about abortion abortion yeah and one about um marco coming out as being gay and uh yeah and that was that was not allowed to be aired in the states and it is such a beautiful portrayal of a like teenager coming out so oh. good and drake shout out to drake out jimmy to drake. um was <laughs> my like favorite drake is a drake in a wheelchair <laughs> right was the accepting friend and he oh. wasn't in a wheelchair yet at that point but oh. he was like the one who was like there for marco we can still be bit. friends yeah 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 because i think that's ultimately like something that i think and again totally coming from an outside perspective but like gay men find difficult finding acceptance within straight male spaces mm -hmm. like because it's just assumed that it's like you're less masculine or you're like, yeah, you're not here just to be buds. Yeah, you're here because exactly. like, you're attracted to us for some reason. And like, yeah, yeah. but I, it's I like that. that. I'm happy that that was aired. Yeah. And it was it, it's such a good episode. And oh. it's just yeah, it's it's just really nicely done. And I it's kind of like, 
you have inklings kind of before and what's really cool is that the actor adam Ruggiero, mm-hmm. he was actually kind of coming out at the same time oh and so it was so it was kind of like it was like art imitating life and so he's done a lot of interviews talking about you know how he doesn't know if he could have done it without degrassi being there that's nice to kind of project him in that direction to be able to have all of his friends on the show be able to like accept his characters and then they could like accept him yeah and i think that that's really cool yeah i like that In 1949, Jim started writing letters to combat these kinds of misrepresentations and bigotry. Every time he saw these ridiculous articles or negative comments, he would take out his old Underwood typewriter and write up a letter of complaint to the editor. Between 1949 and 1951, Jim wrote letters to Cornette, Esquire, Ladies Home Journal, Parents Magazine, Red Book, Time, and other magazines. Yeah, good for him. Prolific. Love it. It's gotta hurt. Like, yep. The only way you can write a response letter is you have to read those articles. You can't yeah. just like push it aside because yeah. like him and Jack are just like living out in the country. Like yeah. they said for like a lot of their friends were like, oh, my gosh, why would you want to leave like the gay scene in Toronto? Like, why would you want to just go out in the, like the country and live with a bunch of like couples and out they there? Like, uh, and they're like, it's actually really quiet. And like, we don't have to worry about like, we just police and like stuff. each other. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like it's really actually quite relaxing. Yeah. <laughs> So none of the letters that he's writing right now are being published, but Jim didn't really expect them to be. Uh, He still felt like it was very important to write. I sent a letter to Time in March of 1951, which I protested the use of pervert as a synonym for homosexual. I sent... Uh, Yes. (laughs) We're talking basic stuff right now. (laughs) I simply let them know that there was at least one person out there who was not going to sit by and let them get away with what I consider to be gross inaccuracies and libel. Mm. It's just like, he's like, somebody's got to do it. I'm not a pervert. And that person's name is Jim Egan. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a pervert. I'm just gay. <laughs> the first letter to actually get published was oh. in 1950 in the Globe and Mail. Okay. Um, in the letter, Jim defended the Kinsey Report, which challenged the conventional views of homosexuality and discussed taboos like gay attraction and sexuality as a scale. So if I, I had to like... I know I had to actually read the Kinsey Report for a yeah. course once, but it's like, it's, I think it's one of the first times in like mainstream research that they're suggesting like sexuality is not a binary. Um, and at that point, the binary is like moral and deviant, yeah. not straight and homosexual. Yeah. But it's like, oh no, you could be like, someone's like an eight on the scale Ugh. of like gay to straight. Yeah. Which is, I get that. The Kinsey Report's actually pretty progressive for okay. its time. Because, like, I get that. I mean, I definitely think that there's a spectrum. And, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of research stating that it's more of a spectrum for women and less of a spectrum for men. Oh, um, Which is, like, they don't really know why. But yeah. it just seems to be, genetically, it's more of a... Yeah. More of on the spectrum for yeah. women. I wonder if it's also just, like, some level of social conditioning as well. Like, yeah. I don't think women feel as much pressure to be, like... No, I'm straight and the, I'm gay. like the research I've read is that more like women are like loving, comforting, like homemakers. So you right. find it easier to like form those relationships and like with easier anybody. to like yeah. just like have love like with anybody. Right. Whereas men are more um, like less vulnerable. OK. And and inherently like, you know, you form that relationship with like a few people. One. Yeah. yeah. Like and then it's like if you're one person mm-hmm. and you're not like. Yeah, but it's there's some there's some really good books on it. Interesting. Yeah, um, yeah, and I I know like the Kinsey report was like 
it was kind of bashed at the time because it just studied homosexual behavior as just homosexual behavior. Like, yeah. it wasn't trying to make, like, a moral judgment on it. It was right. just like, this is what gay men do. Did you know that? <laughs> this is what they're doing. <laughs> so Jim was published again in Flash magazine when he wrote a lengthy response to an article entitled Unparalleled Orgies of Perversion Exposed by Intrepid Flash Photographer Reporter. Oh, God. Yeah, so uh, great title. I mean, eye-catching for sure. Yeah, I... <laughs> Imagine a time where gay sex is just like unparalleled orgies <laughs> of perversion. Just imagine having that low level, low bar. Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, these letters opened the floodgates and Jim threw himself wholeheartedly into writing letters. Yeah. But as Jim reflected, the letters didn't cause much publicity. So like in retrospect, clearly it's like, oh, wow, it's amazing that he's doing that. But at the time, he didn't really feel like he was getting a lot of notoriety. Yeah. Jim's first real success in writing came in November uh, and December of 1951 when his seven-part series, Aspects of Homosexuality, was published in the Toronto tabloid True News Times, or TNT. Dynamite. (laughs) Jim wasn't just writing complaint letters anymore. Now he had a platform to publish overviews of gay people through history, legal and scientific aspects of homosexuality, and the need for more tolerance. Mm. Jim intended to counter what he considered outright lies and distortions in the press and to challenge what he called the conspiracy of silence surrounding the truth about homosexuality. Yeah. So it's just like, it's like the ask, don't ask, don't tell thing. It's like, yeah. if we don't talk about it, then it's not there. But also, obviously, that can be comforting for a gay person to feel like they're not getting persecuted in their day to day life. Yeah. But you'll also never be equal. Yeah. This represents a key moment in the history of gay journalism in Canada. It was the first published long articles written from a gay point of view. Okay. So it's like the first time a gay perspective is actually being written about. It's not a straight person writing about gay people, yeah. regardless of, its, of if it's positive or negative. Yeah. Jim used his experience with TNT to expand to a larger publication. He persuaded Philip Daniels, uh, publisher of the Toronto tabloid Justice Weekly, to publish uh, a series called Homosexual Concepts, uh, signed JLE. It was going to be a 12-part series of articles from December of 1953 to February of 1954. So the series are getting longer. Um, This was followed by an untitled series in 15 parts published between March and June of 1954. In Justice Weekly, Jim expanded his scope, including insights into debates on the cause and cure of homosexuality, those both being in quotations. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, he, he doesn't believe there's a cure for I homosexuality. Like, oh, Jim, you just, just lost like, me. <laughs> as well as reports on current events, such as the ongoing purge led by Senator Joseph McCarthy of hundreds of United States govern- government employees because of their sexuality. So that's like the lavender scale that we talked about. Yeah. Um, I think it's... Is the lavender the last name? Or they were just like, what's the gayest color we can Basically, come up with? Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. I a mix between it's pastel just like, blue what's a gay color? And pastel pink. <laughs> we'll call it the lavender scale. Like lavender scare. It's because you have the red scare. That's scary. But then Oh, it's the, the lavender line. scare. Scare, yeah. Sorry. Oh, I, I thought scale. it was scale. No. Like 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 you're rating like gay people on this scale on of one like, to lavender. Blue How to gay pink. are yeah. you? <laughs> Uh, if you get too deep into lavender, ooh. Ooh. And we're, I mean, if we're talking periwinkle, you're out. <laughs> oh, my God. 
<laughs> I'm so sorry. That's Everybody. funny. That's funny. Jim also recalled explaining to Philip Daniels that some gay men, like himself, had beards. Just, just <laughs> beards, like literal beards. Um, and Philip was fascinated by this. Whoa. So it was like, he was like, I remember they having think a conversation. They were eunuchs? Did you think all gay people were like eunuchs? Eunuchs. No, you've already done this before. Eunuch is a place. Eunuch? Eunuch is a place. Is a eunuch is a person. Is a boy that got chopped. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, he was just like, um, Philip Daniels, he remembers like the first time they met, he was just like, I'm surprised you have a beard. Don't like all you people like really keep it really trim and like no hair and he's like and he was uh, like no some of us i know a lot of people who have beards who are gay he's like really that's crazy wow we should write a whole article about that <laughs> screw this 12-part series let's talk about beards oh god when Jim stopped writing for Justice Weekly, he suggested that Philip contact foreign gay publications to inquire about reprinting material in return for an exchange subscription. Philip did so, resulting in the reprinting of more than 200 articles of interest to the gay community from publications such as One Magazine, beginning in 1954 and extending into the 1960s. So, like, Jim's like, I'm not... I mean, it's not his full-time job. Mm -hmm. Like, he's doing other stuff, so he's just like... But, you know, once my series are done, you should just find articles that were published in other magazines and see yeah. if you can reprint them so you can keep the conversation going. Cool. Let's keep talking about it. These articles in Justice Weekly were an important source of information for gay Canadians before the foundation of a gay press in Canada in 1964. Yeah. So between 1955 and 1963, uh, Jim and Jack took up farming in rural Ontario and for a time ran a pet and garden supply store in Beamsville, Ontario. Just the, cu just the cutest couple. <laughs> During this time, um, Jim's gay activism declined, though Jim and Jack participated in the Fifth Midwinter Institute of One Inc. in Los Angeles. So that's like a protest very cool um, in 1959 where they met many leading activists including dr blanche baker dr evelyn hooker jim kepner and oh, jim w kepner. door leg very cool his name is door leg <laughs> come on people like spelt uh d-o-r-r-l-e-g-g -G. door leg i <laughs> think that's great <laughs> Inspired by these contacts, Jim published two articles in one magazine during 1959 and revived his letter-writing campaign to newspapers and magazines. Good for him. He's just prolific. Back in Toronto in 1963, Jim served as a resource person and tour guide to journalist Sidney Katz, who wrote a two-part series called The Homosexual Next Door, a sober <laughs> appraisal of a new social phenomenon, which was published in McLean's magazine in February and March of 1964. I mean, at the time, I guess that would be like... Yeah, cool. But like now it's like, that's just the so comical. Like, <laughs> that sounds like a Simpsons-like <sighs> episode. <laughs> <laughs> and I think like it was actually a very positive article because it's, it's like just Mr. Like, Rogers pops over. Let me introduce you to my neighbor, the homosexual. The homosexual. <laughs> Specimen number one. <laughs> but it was meant to be like uh, homosexual people have been your neighbors. Yeah. This whole time. And, uh, <laughs> and that's not a, that's not a bad that's thing. That's not a bad thing. See, everything was fine. Everything's cool. <laughs> um, they so, passed you your paper. You didn't die. You didn't die. <laughs> They didn't bring communism to Canada. No. It's all good. No. 
These are considered to be the first full-scale articles published in a mainstream Canadian magazine to take a generally positive view of homosexuality. Again, what a low bar. Generally positive. Mainstream article that's like generally positive about gay people. Um. Wow. And it's not that long ago, too. Like, no, no. 1964 really isn't that long ago in terms of history. It's true. Anyway. In 1964, Jim and Jack's relationship came under strain due to Jim's increasingly public activism. Jack was a very private person and didn't want to draw attention to his sexual orientation. So, like, the issue is that the more public Jim goes, by default, Jack has to be very public as well. Yeah. And that's hard. Yeah. After a brief split, Jim and Jack met by coincidence in a bar. After a long talk, they decided to get back together. And Jack persuaded Jim to move to British Columbia so they could start a new life together. Um, Yeah. So they're moving out to BC. They love each other. (laughs) Yeah. Um, They started a marine biological specimen company. Of course they did. That just sounds like something from like... um, Like whale sperm? Because that's kind of what I'm thinking. (laughs) Uh, Not exactly where my head was going. I was thinking of... uh, Oh, what's the show with Perry the Platypus? Oh, um, Phineas and Ferb. Phineas and Ferb, the bad guy. That just sounds oh, like a Doofenshmirtz. Like, Doofenshmirtz. Like, I'm starting a marine biolo- biological specimen company. <laughs> that is an unreal it's imitation of that guy. No, that it is a great. unbelievable. <laughs> that Thank was top notch. <laughs> Disney <laughs> Pixar is going to be like- calling you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so they're starting a marine biological specimen company that operated until 1972. Good, Over the years, good for them. Oh, I, this is all sounding you know, very good. They're just entrepreneurs. Like yeah. they have like a series of businesses. Sometimes they work out. Sometimes they don't. Yeah. But they always open a new one. And they love each other. And they love each other. Jim and Jack. Oh. Oh. Who needs Diane when you got Jim? <laughs> <laughs> Over the years, they moved around Vancouver Island, eventually settling in Courtney. Although they were not involved in gay activism during their early days in British Columbia, Jack's level of comfort with gay activism gradually strengthened, and in 1985, they co-founded the Comox Valley branch of the Island Gay Society. I guess that's a gay society of people who live on islands. Well, I'm assuming Vancouver Island. Are they on Vancouver Island? They are on Vancouver Island. So that would probably be why. I would love if it was just all islands. It was like Hawaii. Yeah. Cape Breton. <laughs> Cape Breton. Jim was also a supporter of AIDS awareness. HIV and AIDS was first detected in Canada in 1982, and Jim served as the president of the North Island AIDS Coalition in 1994. So, yeah, it's also, like, it's interesting the ways in which, like, that, like, social circumstances or, like, political circumstances of your society impact the way that people view marginalized communities. Yeah. Like... When AIDS breaks out, like, like it just breaks my heart every time. Like I think of that. Um, it's like the press secretary for Ronald Reagan, yeah, who hasn't said anything about AIDS breaking out, and one journalist there is just like, "Why hasn't the president spoken about AIDS? Like, when is he gonna make any remarks?" And it, the whole room of journalists is just laughing at him. Yeah, and the press secretary is just like, "Why do you care? Are you gay?" Is that why you is that why you're asking? Like, are you gay? Yeah. It's just like, oh my God, like thousands of people are dying. Yeah. It's almost yeah. like right now. Yeah. <sighs> the disease yeah. that will not be named. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah, the I mean, it was a shame in the media and 
with um, LGBTQ, the LGBTQ community, and also the the black community. Mm-hmm. Um, AIDS just became something for those people. Yeah, like it wasn't yeah. like a, it, it. It just ostracized two communities just like that yeah like it's like you know aids became a thing and then it was like okay everybody black everybody gay like not safe yeah yeah absolutely and i mean at that point like people people honestly didn't know though like doctors didn't know that if you treated a patient with aids were you gonna have aids like it wasn't understood how it transmitted yeah Yeah. and it used to actually aids was called um grids oh for a really long time i didn't know which uh, and GRIDS actually stands for Gay Related Immune Deficiency. <sighs> and so it was thought that it was able to gay. be transmitted like from a person. So doctors were told not to not to touch like patients who had AIDS. Like you just let them die. Like there was no treatment. And uh, and yeah, like it was, you know, it was it was like Dark a and scary times. A- and it was like a sin, like a shame. Well, yeah, like, and it's like it's like this is your badge. It's dirty. Like yeah. you did this to yourself. It yeah. was purely a choice. Exactly. Um, um, yeah, and I mean, even to this day, like gay men can't donate blood. Which I mean, that's just that's just so telling. And there have been yeah. that's actually an episode of Degrassi too, with Marco. Uh, does he try to donate blood? And they're like, you he's can't. The, he's the school president, and he tries to donate blood, and they won't let him. And it's on TV, like on like their news station. Great. And they're like, oh, you uh, you check this box, and he's like, what box? And he's like, and it's the, the box that's one? like, it's the box that's like, um, have you had a sexual relation uh, with someone of the same sex in the last like however they're like, I yes. think it's six months or something. Yeah, sorry, we can't take your blood. And like, fuck uh, you guys. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like I. I can understand it from like a practicality standpoint, but I just I've never seen anyone actually present me the figure and say like this is how much money our healthcare system saves by not accepting well or blood from gay men. Get test like just get tested. Just get tested beforehand. for AIDS yeah. and then have that documentation and then go give blood. It yeah. It makes sense. It's just like it's such a strange like Yeah. And yeah, still still following us band. today, like in Canada. Yeah. I mean, I mean, America. We're not uh, even gonna go but there. But here in Canada, and oh, like, yeah. <laughs> like we, yeah, we still have a lot of issues that we gotta yeah. figure out. Yeah. Um, Jim's interest in the natural world propelled him to become involved in environmental activism in British Columbia, particularly with groups such as the Society for the Prevention of Environmental Collapse and the Save Our Straits Committee. I love that first name. Society for the Prevention of, of Environmental Collapse. <laughs> and Save Our Straits? Straits, yeah. As in? Like the water straits. Oh, yeah. I was like, as in the straight people? <laughs> I was like, I didn't even see that. That doesn't <laughs> really seem like a cause he would get behind, but uh, I guess I, how, you've got to support those marginalized. How did I not <laughs> see that? Oh my gosh, thank you for pointing that Save out. Save the straight. Canada's most prolific <laughs> gay activists was on a committee called Save Our Straits. Save Our Straits. It's even better. Oh. Uh, do you think he wrote that and had a little chuckle? I I know he did. He was like, Jim, he, he, he. Wherever he is now, I know he's like, that was all a bit. I did it for the bit. Yeah, I I want to save our straights. Just kidding. <laughs> His desire to make a difference through public service ultimately led him to politics. In 1981, Jim was elected a regional director for Electoral Area B of the regional districts of Comox Strathcona. 
Great title. Love that place. (laughs) He was one of the first openly gay politicians to serve in Canada. Jim was reelected twice and served from 1981 to 1993 when he decided to not stand for reelection. Okay. So in the late 1980s and early 1990s, Jim and Jack were thrust into the public eye. In 1987, Jim and Jack applied for spousal benefits under the Old Age Security Act. They had been together almost 40 years, and they met all the criteria to receive benefits. They actually would have received more money if they had applied for benefits separately, so as like individuals. Um, but but they want to make a point. They're that trying they to make a together. Statement. Yeah, so they apply as a couple. Are they married? So they're not. You married. can't legally get married in Canada. Gay marriage at this is point. not legalized. Right, right. right. So Jim and Jack like set out to test the status quo and challenge the Canadian government's refusal to legally recognize same-sex couples. Yeah, which I love that like Jack was like, I really don't want to do this activism thing. But like over time was like, saw the value in it and yeah. like, started participating. I think that's great. I, I love them. Yeah. I, they are really great. Yeah. Health and Welfare Canada denied their claim because of sexual orientation. This set the stage for a court challenge test case under the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. In 1988, their case claimed discrimination under the Old Age Security Act and its definition yep. of spouse. Yep. Their case claimed that the current definition discriminated against same-sex couples, which was contrary to Section 15.1 of the Charter, which states every individual is equal before and under the law and has the right to the equal protection and equal benefit of the law without discrimination, and in particular without discrimination based on race, nationality, or ethnic origin, color, religion, sex, age, or mental or physical uh, disability. Okay. So... It absolutely is. <laughs> like, it's like, it absolutely is uh, discrimination, 100%. Um, but their case was dismissed by a federal court because the relationship was not a spousal one, quote unquote. They appealed in 1993, but the Federal Court of Appeals upheld the court's decision. This led to their appeal to the Supreme Court of Canada. Yeah. Take it all the way to the top, boys. Take it all the way to the top. And that's what they like show in the minute is like, yeah. I'm on the phone with like the Supreme Court counsel decision. And this was not an easy time for gay rights activists. So, like, we've talked a little bit about AIDS pandemic had revived a lot of animosity for gay people and gay culture. And this is true not just in the States, but also in Canada. So on February 5th, 1981, just six years earlier, patrons of four bathhouses in downtown Toronto were confronted by 200 police officers in a series of coordinated raids collectively called Operation Soap. What are bathhouses? you. No. Can you just like elaborate a little on what bathhouses are? So bathhouses are like spas, um, but in the in this particular context, it's like it would be like a gay spa. Okay. And usually there's like some kind of sex work taking place. Okay. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things of like they're not raiding brothels. Right. They're raiding these bathhouses. Because they know that yeah. there are gay people there. Yeah. Undercover cops entered the bathhouses and subjected the patrons to excessive behavior, including verbal taunts about their sexuality. One officer allegedly told a line of men standing against a shower wall, I wish these pipes were hooked up to gas so I could annihilate you all. So nice Nazi reference. Yeah. That's always the people you want to associate with. Yep. People who reference (sighs) Nazi behavior and are like, that was great. (laughs) It's like, it's like. When you say the Nazis were bad, but it's like, nope, stop. Nope. There's no but. Nope, nope. 
The police collected large amounts of information about the men arrested, including their names of work superiors, and for those who were married, the names and phone numbers of their wives. So it's literally, it's not even like, they're not arresting them for a crime. Like, like most of the time, they're not catching people in the act of, like, sexual deviation. They're just like... We're here to harass you. We're going to call your wife Not and tell cool. her we found you Big in a gay bathhouse. bullies. Yeah. It's just like police abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, the arrested feared retaliation from the police who were known in the past to have uh, made concerned citizen calls to employers when charges revolving around sexual, sexual orientation were laid. So it's like the police will just do anonymous calls to your workplace and yeah. be like, just so you know, Gary... Yeah, he's gay. Ugh, like a gay. He's a gay. He's a gay. He's one of those. He's a homosexual. Yeah. It's like, ugh. So awful. Yeah. Um when the night was over, 286 men were charged for being found in a common body house. So a body house is like a brothel. Yeah. Um, while twenty were charged for operating a body house. It was up to that time the largest single arrest in Toronto's history. The bathhouses suffered $50,000 in damages, um, and no incident of sex work was uncovered, which was alleged to be the reason for the raids in the first place. So they're going in saying, like, this is about sex work, which, I mean, we can have a whole other conversation about why that's wrong in the first place. But they're going in saying it's about sex work, but it's really just to, like, harass the gay community and be like, you shouldn't feel safe. Ugh. So times are tense. Yeah. And so like this is kind of like the tone of things leading up to the Supreme Court ruling in 1995 on Egan versus Canada. Okay. Um, And the Supreme Court dismissed the appeal. Mm. Um, However, the case led to the ruling that sexual orientation be read into the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Good. So it's like the way the law is written now, we are going to dismiss it, but we're going to change the law. Okay. We're going to change the charter. So this was a monumental finding in support of LGBTQ2 plus uh, rights in Canada. The decision was described as losing the battle but winning the war. It yep. brought awareness to discriminatory laws across the country. The landmark decision opened the door to other activists and set a precedent that paved the way to other milestone victories. The same year, Jim and Jack were invited to Toronto to serve as honorary grand marshals of the Toronto Pride Parade. Oh! <laughs> And it's so my whole heart. I love the footage. It's like they're prom kings, and they're like in this like the convertible. And And how old are they at this point? They're like in their like seventies, I think, Um, like sixties, sixties, seventies. Oh, I love that. Um, And yeah, and they're just in the car, like, (laughs) hi, I'm gay. (laughs) Hi, me, Jim and Jack. So during the rest of 1995 and 1996, Jim and Jack's story was told on radio, television, and in numerous newspaper articles. In 1996, David Atkins uh, produced a documentary called Jim Loves Jack, which we should watch. I think we should should have like like a movie list of like minute women movies that we need to watch. Yeah. Jim Loves Jack should be one of them. Um, and so the documentary covers their relationship in the court case. Uh, Jim also published his memoir in 1998, which okay. I've been quoting a lot throughout. Uh, it's called Challenging the Conspiracy of Silence, My Life as right. a Canadian Gay Activist. Um, In the same year, a portrait of Egan by artist Andrew McPhail was added to the Canadian Lesbian and Gay Archives National Portrait Collection. Aww. 
Jim and Jack lived the rest of their lives in Courtney, British Columbia. They celebrated their 50th anniversary in August of 1998. Um, Jim died of lung cancer on March 9th, 2000 in their home in Courtney. And Jack passed away just three months later. Oh, Why is it always like that? He died of a broken heart because they love each other so so much. much. (sighs) Okay. That's beautiful. And uh, just a few years later, same-sex marriage in Canada uh, was progressively introduced in several provinces by court decisions beginning in 2003 before being legally recognized nationwide with the enactment of the Civil Marriage Act on July 20th, 2005. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the story of Jim Egan and Jack and his activism and all that stuff. I think it, like... Usually when we do the ones about marginalized communities, it's always like, it's really tough, especially because it's like, usually it personally doesn't work out. But like for them, at least they got to like be together. Yeah. And they like, they saw some of the differences that they made. And they overcame like that adversity and. Yeah. 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 And they kept like fighting no matter what. And they always had each other. Yeah. Best friends. I love it. Yeah. I think like. The, the the Mrs. Nesbitt quote is like <laughs> yeah. is like one of my favorites. Yeah. It's just like because like you think your parents don't know, but they always know. They all know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so it's just like I'm just so happy that Jack has someone to take care of him. And they're just like, uh, uh great. Yeah. <laughs> Love that. Yeah. And I think we're really lucky, especially in I mean, Canada and Nova Scotia even, to have so many kind of like homegrown homegrown activists for same-sex relationships and uh and even like with celebrity like ellen page who's from yeah who's from halifax uh came out publicly a couple years ago yeah but uh but has a very successful uh film and tv career and i remember her speech when she came out she was just like yeah like just like i don't feel like i need to address this but uh and that's I'm gay. The, that's and, the weird uh, part. Like, just wanted to let you guys know. As a straight person, you don't need to tell anyone. No, that's really. The thing. You don't need to come out as yeah, straight. And so exactly. It's weird when you have to like you feel like something that is so personal and private. Yeah. Has to be everyone else's business, which yeah. I think was the thing with like it was interesting comparing Jim's experience to Jack's experience. And Jack right. was like, I just don't. And, and it's clearly like he it's not that he doesn't support Jim. It's just like I just don't want my private life being everyone's business. Yeah. Which I can totally relate to. Yeah. 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 But that was a great story. Yeah. And we're so lucky to have had uh, Theo on to talk about yeah. to talk about his experience with the clip and give some of his insights. So Yeah. It made it special. Yeah. For that's Pride awesome. Month. Yes. Happy, happy Pride, everybody. Happy Pride. Um, yeah, so just a reminder to everyone, if you're not already following us on social media, uh, please give us a follow. We're on Instagram at Minute Women Podcast and Facebook at the same handle. And then we're on Twitter at The Minute Women. And then we also have a really great website. And that's at www.minutewomenpodcast.ca. And there you can see all of our all of our um, episodes. And you can see pictures of our beautiful faces. <laughs> and uh, you can find all the links to our social media. We always appreciate um, hearing from you. So please feel free to reach out. Send us a DM. Let us know about your experiences and your thoughts on the episodes. 
Yeah, and make sure wherever you're listening to this podcast to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Uh, it's a really big help to us, especially if you give us like a five-star review and let us know what you think of the episodes. Yeah. So, yeah. I Thank you for celebrating Pride with me, Yeah, Linnea. thank you, Grace. In, in the studio. I love Once it. Once again, love it. Love it. Love it. I love you. I love you. And we love you guys. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.